Welcome to EAN Cast, your weekly source for education, research, and updates from the European Academy of Neurology. Ladies and gentlemen, colleagues and friends, we, that means Anita Bandari from India, and myself would like to welcome you to the next session of our successful EAN podcast. As you noticed, we have guests from various countries, but now we have a guest from even a different continent. The topic today, during the next 25 minutes, is going to be benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, the second most frequent cause of vertigo at all, and the most frequent cause of peripheral vestibular disorders, with a lifetime prevalence, I think, of about 10%. We will talk about the patient history, the typical clinical findings, new diagnostic and new therapeutic maneuvers for posterior, horizontal, and anterior canal BPPV. And after this brief introduction, I would like to ask Anita to introduce herself. Anita, please. Hello. Hello, friends. So, uh, I'm Anita Bhandari. I'm from uh, Jaipur, India, and I'm working in a specialized vertigo clinic. Uh, we also have uh, clinics all over India, over 150 clinics in which we are treating uh, specialized uh, patients of vertigo and dizziness. Thank you, Anita. So, My name is Michael Strzok. I'm professor of neurology and clinical neurophysiology at the University of Munich. So now let's get started. Anita, what are the typical symptoms of patients with benign paroxysmal positional vertigo? Yes, Michael. So these patients typically complain of a spinning or an unsteady sensation on change of position. It usually happens when they wake up in the morning, getting up from bed or bending down or turning in their bed, and they feel that on certain positions, they have this spinning sensation. It usually uh, decreases when they sit up or walk around. Um, is, this is a typical history. Now we move over to the underlying etiology. What do we know about potential etiologies of benign paroxysmal positional vertigo? So BPPV is basically a mechanical disorder of the inner ear where autolith debris from the utricle are dislodged and they enter into one of the semicircular canals. Now, why this really happens, we don't know, but there are certain factors which increase the risk of having this. It could be after trauma in which the crystals get dislodged. It could be things like vitamin D deficiencies. It could be uh, certain neuroautological disorders like vestibular migraine, Meniere's disease, post-vestibular neuritis as well. But many patients, we really don't know why it happens. What about age? Is age a risk factor? Yes, uh, increase the the incidence of BPPV increases with increasing age, and uh, as the patients go over sixty and seventy, you can see that BPPV itself can cause even unsteadiness and increases the risk of fall. Thank you. Now we move over to the next part, and this is the bedside examination of patients with BPPV. 
which maneuvers do you recommend for the diagnosis and what is the sequence of the maneuver? Concrete question, which canal do you examine first? And this may be different to what had been recommended in the past. So it's again about learning and de-learning. Right, so BPPV is typically diagnosed by positional tests. Different positional tests for different canals. And now we have proved with simulations that the horizontal canal should be tested first. And we do that with the supine roll test. Now how it's done, keeping a pillow under the patient's head, that means raising it by about 30 degrees, and you turn the head from the supine position to the right, wait for about one minute, come back to the center, and then turn it to the other side, and look for any horizontal nystagmus which is generated by this change of position. If we do not see any nystagmus on this test, then the second test which we do is the Dix-Holpike test. In that the patient's head is turned, when the patient is sitting on the couch, the head is turned by 45 degrees, and then the patient's head is taken down below the horizontal by about 30 degrees, and we look for any nystagmus. Here, the typical nystagmus seen is a torsional upbeat nystagmus. We wait in this position for about a minute and then bring back the patient to the sitting position. This is for the posterior canal. And finally, the test for the anterior canal. Anita, is there any diagnostic maneuver for the posterior canal except the Dix-Hall-Pike maneuver? An alternate positional test for the posterior canal is the Simon's positional test, in which, or you can call it the sideline positional test, in which the patient's trunk is taken 45 degrees to the side, and we again look for any nystagmus. Yeah, with the diagnostic uh, Simon maneuver, we noticed that it's even more effective if the head is overextended by at least 60 degrees below earth horizontal, which would theoretically, also based on your simulations, Anita, increase the chance that we diagnose posterior canal BPPV. So we have the supine roll test for horizontal canal. We have the Dix-Hall-Pike and the Simon plus diagnostic maneuver for posterior canal. How about anterior canal? So though the anterior canal is not very common, it's important to test patients for this as well. In this, the patient is taken to the deep head hanging position in which when the patient is sitting straight ahead, you take them straight down without turning the head by about 30 degrees and look for any nystagmus. In anterior canal, it's typically either a downbeat or a downbeat with torsional nystagmus, which is seen. And then waiting after for about a minute, the patient is brought back to the sitting position. Yes, and the torsional component in anterior canal BPPV often causes confusion. And I'd like to point out that the direction of the nystagmus in BPPV also depends on the position of the eye in the orbit. If the patient is looking 45 degrees to the right or to the left, 
for instance, in the plane of the affected anterior or posterior canal, you will typically see a pure vertical nystagmus. In anterior canal BPPV, in contrast to the other canals, it is important to know which side is affected or does that have no impact on the treatment? So, uh, for the anterior canal, because the canals are more placed closer to the midline, it doesn't really matter which side is involved. So, you don't need to determine the side of uh, involvement because the Yakovino Plus and the Yakovino Maneuver do not require uh, determination of the side and the maneuver works equally for both sides. So that makes the story much easier. So you should not be concerned about whether it's right or left anterior canal because the treatment is the same. We'll talk about the treatment in a few moments. Now we switch over and focus on the posterior canal. So you have made the diagnosis by the, for instance, diagnostic Simon Plus maneuver. How do you treat the patient nowadays, Anita, with posterior canal BPPV? There are different maneuvers which, were, which have been described in literature. We have seen that the Simon Plus maneuver in which the patient is taken to the sideline position and you overextend the neck by 60 degrees helps in bringing the debris further uh, move through the canal. And then after a minute, we do take the patient's trunk to the opposite side, swing it to the opposite side in which you have over 180 plus almost 60 degrees. And this brings the debris moving through the canal and it brings it back into the utricle. What about Another... the angular velocity mm -hmm. of the patient's movement and what about the duration each position should be kept during the therapeutic maneuvers? So uh, for the therapeutic maneuvers, it's important to hold the patient in the particular position at each step to allow the debris to move to the most dependent position under the effect of gravity. And because this takes time, you should ideally wait for about one minute or till the nystagmus subsides. The other thing about the Simon, comparing the Simon with the Simon's Plus maneuver is that for the Simon's maneuver, you need to do a brisk swing to the opposite side. That means you need the effect of both gravity and inertia. But the advantage of having the Simon Plus maneuver is that because we have done an overextension or we've increased the angulation of the head and neck, we allow the debris to move further through the canal. And that is why you do not need a brisk movement. A normal movement to the opposite side is enough to allow gravity to bring that crystal out of the canal. The next question arises for all the clinicians. How many maneuvers should be performed per day? Can you suggest something on that? The frequency and the total number of maneuvers. And when do you stop with the therapeutic maneuvers? And shall they be done by the doctors only? Or is there an option for self-maneuvers by the patients? Uh, so in my own experience, 
I think that the doctor or a trained person doing the maneuvers is always better because they know the exact plane and the exact angulation which is required to displace and bring those debris back to their correct position. Inaccurately done or incorrectly done maneuvers can lead to problems and cause a canal switch or even sometimes a canal jam. That means that crystal gets jammed in the canal and it can increase the, uh, the vertigo actually. Now, how many maneuvers should you do? So ideally, just one. But what we do is after we do the maneuver, we wait for around 15 minutes and repeat the positional test again. And if we see nystagmus in that positional test, you can repeat the maneuver. So normally we do not do more than two maneuvers in a particular setting. So here we might have different opinions. So our experience is that we start with three maneuvers barn by the physician and then we show the patients on how to perform the maneuvers. We check whether the patient himself, herself is doing the maneuvers correctly and then we instruct the patients to do the therapeutic maneuvers three times in the morning, three times at noon, three times at night. Most often it takes one to three days. And then the patient should do the maneuvers for another three days in the morning. And if the patients cannot induce spinning vertigo three days in a row, then we classify the patient as treated well. Um, Two other questions related to that. Are there any side effects of the repositioning maneuvers? And what is the risk of recurrency of BPPV in total? So there are really no risk as such if a correctly done maneuver is normally successful. But some patients require more than uh, one or two maneuvers to accomplish the repositioning. But sometimes you can see that there is a canal switch. That means uh, the crystal in perhaps the posterior canal has moved into the horizontal canal. And you'll be able to diagnose that by viewing the nystagmus. A change in the pattern of nystagmus can indicate that there was a canal switch. The other thing which you should be on the lookout is to make sure that the the character of the nystagmus is typical of BPPV. If you see nystagmus without any latency, which is not fatigable, it keeps it is similar in all the positions, this means that this is perhaps not BPPV, and you should be uh, on the watch out for a central positioning nystagmus, which could be central in origin. Thank you. We will talk about central position and nystagmus later on a little bit. Another complication, of course, is postural imbalance and dizziness after successful maneuvers. And this is caused by a repositioning of the autoconia. And this is caused re post-repositioning autolith dizziness. And uh, we recommend that you inform the patient beforehand about this side effect, which is actually a side effect we would like to see because it indicates that the crystals are back home. 
Uh, what is the total recurrency rate according to your experience in patients with BPPV? So over time, literature says that there can be a recurrence in 20 to 30 percent of patients. You could tell your patients that this is not really a disease, but it's basically a displacement of the crystals in your own ear. So if it does happen, they should not be scared of it, but they can come back to the clinic or identify what their problem is by understanding where that crystal is, on which position it's causing symptoms, and avoid that position for a few days. Okay, so this was about posterior canal BPPV. Uh, now we can switch the canal indeed and move over to the horizontal canal. So what are the two types of horizontal canal BPPV we know? What are the mechanisms and how can you clinically discriminate these two subtypes of horizontal canal BPPV? So there are two types of horizontal canal BPPV, which are identified by doing the supine roll test. If you see horizontal nystagmus on the supine roll test, suppose on turning to the right side, the nystagmus is right beating and turning to the left side, nystagmus is left beating. So that means that this is a geotropic nystagmus. The nystagmus is beating towards the ground. That is usually due to canal lithiasis. That means the debris are floating within the canal. The other type of uh, horizontal canal uh, nystagmus is on the supine roll, you get a nystagmus which is beating away from the ground. That is called epogeotropic. And that is typically due to cupulolithiasis in which the debris are adherent to the cupula and because of that, epogeotropic nystagmus is seen. So there are two types, and they're practically the mirror image of each other's in terms of the direction of the nystagmus. How can you identify in horizontal canal BPPV which canal is causing the symptoms? So horizontal canal is confusing in that way or tricky because both sides will initiate a nystagmus. For geotropic nystagmus, it's important to identify which side elicits the stronger nystagmus and that is the side which is affected. On the other hand, in cupulolithiasis, where you see epogeotropic nystagmus, the side which is the weaker side of nystagmus is the side of involvement and that is the side from where you start your repositioning maneuver. Talking about the physiology and pathophysiology, how can you explain these differences between the intensity of the nystagmus based on the physiology, based on Ewald's second law to discriminate uh, which side is affected? So according to Ewald's second law, in the horizontal canal, movement towards the cupula is excitatory and movement away is inhibitory. So, or, um, and that is why in canal lithiasis, when the head is moved towards the side of involvement, 
the debris starts moving towards the cupola and elicits the stronger nystagmus. When the head is turned to the opposite side, the debris starts moving away from the cupola and that is an inhibitory response. That means the nystagmus will be weaker. And that shows that uh, is basically the reason how we are able to differentiate the site of involvement in canal lithiasis. And on the other hand, in cupular lithiasis, it's because of the movement of the cupula itself. Yes, so this is a real clinical application of basic physiology, which will help you to identify the affected site and also the mechanism of the disease. So now we finally move over to the third type, and this is rare anterior canal VPPV. First of all, why is anterior canal VPPV so rare? So anterior canal involvement in BPPV is rare because of the superior orientation or the anatomical position of the superior canal. And that is exactly why posterior canal is the most common. Now, for the, for the debris or the crystal to move anti-gravity into the superior canal, it is seen in a very small percentage, less than 2% of patients of BPPV would have anterior canal involvement. Okay, so what is the recommended treatment for anterior canal BPPV nowadays? So with our simulations, we have shown that the modified Yakovino maneuver is the simplest and most effective maneuver for anterior canal. In this, the patient is taken to the sitting position on the couch facing forwards. And then the patient is taken down to the head hanging position down by 30 degrees and held for about a minute. In the next step, patient is brought swiftly to the sitting position. You hold this position again for a minute and then the head is bent down to the chin to chest position for another minute before bringing the patient back to the facing forward position. So a very simple maneuver and it's effective in the treatment of anterior canal BPPV. So this is a modification of the Jacovino maneuver based on your simulations and it's easier and it's theoretically more effective and the next step of course will be to run a prospective clinical trial. So um, in anterior canal BPPV, you typically have a downwardly beating nystagmus. And what is the most important differential diagnosis if you can induce during the diagnostic maneuvers a downwardly beating nystagmus? So you have to differentiate it from posterior canal non-ampullary arm. That means if the uh, debris is in the cross commune or in the non-ampullary arm of the posterior canal, that also can induce a downbeat nystagmus. And the second important differential is a central cause of uh, positional nystagmus. What are the clinical characteristics of central positional nystagmus, please? The characters of central nystagmus are there is no latency. That means as soon as the patient is brought to the offending position, the nystagmus starts. 
it is usually non fatigable it continues till you maintain the patient in that particular position as compared to peripheral nystagmus which typically has a crescendo decrescendo character often central positional nystagmus is seen in more than one position as compared to the classical bppv positional test so in these ways you can differentiate peripheral from central i can add uh, what you mentioned um so in different positions of the head you get similar types of nystagmus and the nystagmus does not correspond to a canal in central position on nystagmus other two features are patients often have additional central cerebellar oculomotor disorders because in most patients central positional nystagmus is caused by a central cerebellar dysfunction namely of otolith pathways and thirdly if you do the therapeutic maneuvers, patients with central positional nystagmus typically do not respond or respond only to a very small extent to the treatment maneuvers. And treatment of choice for central positional nystagmus nowadays is 4-aminopyridine, fempirinine, 10 milligram twice a day. And now we switch back to horizontal canal and its treatment. And uh, as far as I know, there are at least six different treatment maneuvers for horizontal canal, BPPV, canalolithiasis. Which of these maneuvers do you recommend in your clinical practice? So though several maneuvers have been described, my first choice is the modified barbecue roll maneuver or the modified roll maneuver in which the patient is turned by a series of 90 degree steps by 360 degrees. We start with the side which is affected, turning the head to that side, and then with sequential 90 degree steps, turn a complete 360 degree roll. And then uh, we recently developed a certain device, which we already are working on now, can you make a few comments on this new device and what the uh, function of this simple device is for the treatment of horizontal canal canalolithiasis? We are working on a pillow in which we are doing trials in which it is a contoured pillow and it takes the head to that particular position at each step of the modified roll maneuver to ensure that the head is taken by 90 degrees and is optimally placed in each position as the patient goes through a 360 degree roll. So this is very important because if the orientation of the canal which you treat is 20 plus degrees away from the vertical position, then the maneuvers are not effective. And this is true for posterior canal this is also true for horizontal canal. And finally, about the treatment of horizontal canal BPPV, what are your recommendations for the cupulolithiasis? That means when the crystals are attached to the cupula. Here again, different maneuvers are recommended. What is your favorite maneuver? I still stick with the modified role maneuver for cupulolithiasis as well. So it's effective for both canal lithiasis and cupulolithiasis. 
we often start the maneuver with a head shake to try to dislodge the debris before starting the maneuver and then go through the steps of 90 degree turns. Yeah, this is a very important comment because first you should do a very brisk high frequency head shaking. So the patient turns the head 90 degrees down and then with the nose down shakes the head 100 times and the aim of this head shaking is that the crystals are not attached to the cupola anymore and subsequently you move on with the modified roll maneuver so then it's the sequence of head shaking modified roll maneuver and subsequently the patient can also rest on the healthy side so we are now approaching the end of this session on the symptoms clinical signs examination and treatment of the three different types of bppv most frequent posterior canal where we nowadays recommend the simoplus maneuver then horizontal canal canalolithiasis with a geotropic nystagmus the affected side is the side with the higher intensity here we recommend the modified roll maneuver first with a turn toward the affected side and for cupololithiasis we recommend the combination of brisk head shaking plus the modified roll maneuver and for anterior canal finally the simpler modified Jacovino maneuver so thank you very much Anita thank you so much for having me Shukriya to India and as we see we have a multinational EAN podcast event and I hope you have enjoyed this session too if you have any questions I think you can contact Anita and myself also via email and we are all looking forward to seeing you also at the next EAN meeting in Budapest, where we are going to have also a teaching course on these diseases. And you are most welcome to join our teaching course on these topics, where we can also do some hands-on sessions. Thank you very much to India. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks to the EAN team in Vienna. Thank you. This has been EANcast Weekly Neurology. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcatcher for weekly updates from the European Academy of Neurology. You can also listen to this and all of our previous episodes on the EAN campus to gain points and become an EAN expert in any of our 29 neurological specialties. Simply become an EAN individual member to gain access. For more information, visit ean.org membership. That's ean.org backslash membership. Thanks for listening. EANcast Weekly Neurology is your unbiased and independent source for educational and research-related neurological content. Although all content is provided by experts in their field, it should not be considered official medical advice.